0: We're excited to be here. We're glad you're here. Welcome to Pleasant Grove Assembly of God and uh, praise the Lord. God's good. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. We're excited this morning to be here. We're excited to have a special uh, speaker this morning. He's not a special guest uh, because he's not really a guest, but... Uh, P- Pastor will come and introduce the Valdens a little bit later in our service. But I just want to prepare you now. So for our offering, uh, we want to give an opportunity to bless our missionaries this morning. Uh, so just so that you'll be prepared for that, when we receive our offering at the end, uh, it'll just be the one offering uh, as usual as we as we exit this, uh, after the service. So if you have a special offering you would like to... to uh, Uh, Designate to the Bowdens this morning. You can just write that on your envelope. Designate it to them. That way we'll be sure that they get that offering. Amen. Amen. We want to bless our missionary. We appreciate them. We're so glad they're here today. We're excited to hear how God is moving in their lives. Uh, But right now we want to open in prayer. And we want to worship God today. Amen. Amen. How good it is to be in the house of the Lord. To be able to worship God. Amen. Praise the Lord. We want to invite you to stand with us as we open in prayer. Oh, what a mighty God we serve, church. He is so faithful. He's faithful. Aren't you you glad that God never changes? But He's a faithful God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises... To you and our yes and amen hallelujah we stand on those promises today let's worship him and love on him today father we thank you lord again for another day lord that we can serve you lord god for the privilege of coming to your house lord god to honor you today lord god we invite your presence god that you would fill this place this morning with your holy spirit with your presence lord and that you would move in a mighty way lord god let your anointing father rest upon us lord as we worship you today, Lord God, we pray that You'll touch and minister every need today, but most of all, we pray that You would be glorified, Lord, as we lift our, our worship to You. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: singing all the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in life I will shout and Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God Oh yes, I'm standing Your promises, Lord God. We thank you this morning that you are faithful and true, and that you are great, O oh God, and that there's nothing that is too difficult for you. Hallelujah. How great, how great is our
2: Us. Before we ever recognized you, you were watching over us and you were taking care of us. And all through this walk of faith, you've been so faithful, you've been so loving, you've been so kind. In a world that is inconsistent, you haven't changed. In a world where there's so few things you can really trust in, you have been faithful, you have been dependable, you have been there for us again and again and again. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. Oh, great is the faithfulness of our God and our King. And we thank you, Lord. And we walk confidently into tomorrow, whatever tomorrow holds, For this we know our God has been and shall always be faithful to care for us and watch over us and bring us through. And for that, we will always give you praise and glory. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, God bless you. You may be seated. What a joy to serve a God that's faithful. He's He's not a mystery. He's not confusing. Amen. Some people serve a God that they're confused. They can't understand Him. Well, our God's not confused. And we can understand Him. He's given us a word. He's given us great and precious promises that we can stand on and that we can count on. And we can know the one thing. We might be overwhelmed a lot in this life. And there might be things that we didn't see coming, but nothing ever catches Him off guard. And as long as He's doing all right, we're going to be all right. Amen? Because he's taking care of us, not the other way around. I mean, isn't it a shame some people got to take care of their gods, not us. He takes care of us. Some people always got to be defending their little idol or defending their little philosophy. Not us. We just walk this walk and he watches out for us. That's why we can sing how great is our God. He's faithful. That's how great he is. Amen. We are so blessed this morning to have Sam and Shelly Bowden with us, our missionaries Southeast Asia. Let's give them a big God bless you as Sam comes. and amen.
3: Thank you, Pastor. So good to be here with you this morning. Uh, For those of you that may not know us, there may be a couple in the sanctuary. Uh, Most of you were here when I was growing up. Uh, But uh, I grew up here at Pleasant Grove Assembly of God, and Shelly and I, we've been missionaries in Southeast Asia now over 25 years. Uh, We worked first in Thailand, and then in Laos for nine years, and now we've been in the Philippines for 10 years, 11 years? 11 years. And we thank God for that, for what he has done, allowing us to be in these beautiful places and to serve him in a variety of ways. Uh, we've ch- started something new this last, this year, actually in March of this year. Uh, we still have the same responsibilities we have had in the Philippines uh, now for uh, probably seven years. We've been directing ICI Ministries Global University. Uh, they're producing training materials for kids and for pastors, and, and we thank God that the last uh, school year we actually had around 300,000 kids uh, studying our Bible curriculum every day of school. Uh, we thank God for that. And we are praying now that they actually have school in the Philippines uh, so that uh, we'll have, uh, that God will continue to, to show himself faithful and kids will still have access to that material. And we thank the Lord for the creative ways in which that is taking place now. We just have a great team. Of people in the Philippines that even into this, uh, even this virus, I've, I'm still, that's the wonderful thing about the internet. I, I, I'm still able to keep up and, and still able to help direct the ministry there, even though I'm here in, in Florida. Uh, but it's been exciting to see how things are going forward, and they're even coming up. We're coming up with a whole curriculum and training for church at home uh, during the lockdown. And uh, we're just finding ways in which to, to touch people's lives with the gospel. But in March this year, we started a new position. In March 1, Shelley and I started with the responsibilities of being area directors for Southeast Asia. Uh, Southeast Asia is the Philippines where we live, but also Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Brunei, and Timor-Leste. And in these six countries, there's around 420 million people. 420 million. To wrap your mind around a large number like that, you have to realize that that's about 100 million more people than we have in the United States. And most of these people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our joy and responsibility to play a part in that and seeing the gospel go forward in those parts of the world. And I'll talk about a bit more about that uh, as I speak this morning. And thank God for those open doors. It's been an interesting year uh, here as well as in Southeast Asia. We started our responsibilities on March 1. We made one trip to Jakarta where I bought this shirt that you're uh, seeing this morning. It's an Indonesian shirt. Uh, George came in this morning and he told me, he said, boy, I'm so glad I didn't wear that shirt this morning. He said it would have been embarrassing for us to have the same shirt on. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm glad you didn't. too. So, and he said he was worried for me because he'd be on the stage first. And so he was worried about me coming up being embarrassed. But uh, I've, uh, we made one trip there, visited our, our missionaries uh, there in Jakarta and uh, made it back to the Philippines just in time for March 14 when we had a nationwide lockdown. And of course, that was a ripple effect around the world. And uh, when they first announced our lockdown in Metro Manila on March 14, none of us really knew what that meant. So on Monday morning, that was like a Saturday, I believe. So on Monday morning, we all went to work like we always do. And by 4 o'clock that afternoon, the president uh, came on the TV and said, y'all misunderstood. I meant for you to stay home. And so uh, on the Tuesday, we all stayed home. And I thought, I was one of those ones, some of you were probably the same. I thought, well, in three weeks this will be all over, we'll go back to our normal lives, we'll get control of this thing. Of course, that turned into months, and it's still actually on a lockdown in Metro Manila. I never imagined, we live in a city of 12 million people. That's like the state of Florida living in one city. Uh, Almost the state of Florida living in one city, but we live with 12 million people. I never thought it would be possible to lock down a city like that, but I'm telling you, it is possible. Uh, And it can be done. And uh, our people there are still working through the restrictions with the virus, and we thank God that in spite of all of this, that his gospel is going forward. Uh, That our missionaries have stayed in place. They've stayed in place. Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, they've stayed in place. We actually were supposed to come home in April for our daughter's graduation in May, and we decided that since everything was canceled here, we shouldn't leave, so we stayed, and then Shelly could can tell your own story. How many times did you leave the apartment?
4: I left the apartment five times in
3: 12 weeks. Uh, five times in 12 weeks. And twelve so, floors above the ground. Yeah, twelve floors above the ground. So here we have a yard. <laughs> we can look out, but we can't get to it. Uh, so it was, it was a challenge, a challenging time, where so our people have stayed in place, continued to love and minister to their communities, and we thank God for that. Uh, I'd like to ask Shelly to, to share this morning. I'm not sure your mic is on.
4: Yeah, is this, which mic should I use? Side. Side. We're good. Every church is different. Side, bottom, hip. I never know. Um, it's interesting, over the last 27 years in ministry, God has used me in all kinds of seasons. I have taught. I have done hospitality ministry in my home, I have organized choirs, I've done solo ministries, whatever God found me to do. Well, about six years ago, I found myself at the brink of a season that I did not welcome. In fact, I wasn't looking forward to it at all. And that's when Jay, and most of you know my son, um, it was time for him to leave the Philippines and go back to the United States to college, And he left us in August of that year, and I was in Manila, and I mourned him, and I mourned him, and I cried, and I mourned. I couldn't talk about it. In fact, if anybody mentioned his name, I would cry. It was a very difficult season, and months went on into that fall, and around November of that fall, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across a picture myself, and I said, there you are, Shelly. You're struggling with the weakness that you've struggled with your whole adult life, you're right back at the top of your weight spectrum yet again. And normally I would pray and ask God, Oh, God, can you give me the willpower to start another diet sometime? But on this occasion, quite different than ever before, God sparked it in my heart and my mind. Shelley, why don't you try to figure out why you do what you do? What's in your head and what's in your heart with food. And that really started me on a process. Actually, when I was home last time, I know some of you bought a book that I wrote about a process of trying to figure out what I thought about food. Well, after I went back this last time, I actually had the opportunity to meet with a pilot group of women, and I was able to write a Bible study a nine-session Bible study, and then re-go through the whole book again, rewrite the whole thing to help um, others deal with the same weakness. And I released that in the United States in January, both here and in the Philippines. And women are using it since then. The interesting thing, and the thing that God has really brought out to me, is that through all my seasons of weakness, of all my seasons of ministry, up until that point, I had always ministered out of my strength. Things that I knew God had put in my heart. Things that he, I knew he had put in my life. I knew I could sing. I knew I could teach. But this was the first time that I felt like God was saying, Shelly, I want you to minister out of your weakness. And Paul talks about this Several times in the Word, he talks about, it even mentions in the Word that three times he asked God to remove his weakness from him. But God chose not to do that. Instead, Paul got to the point, and it says in 2 Corinthians twelve nine that he could say, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Amen. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you have a strength that you're holding back from God. You're not using it for His glory. Or maybe, just maybe, you have a weakness. You have a hardship. You've walked through a difficult season. And God wants to use that for you to be a light and life to those that you come in contact with today, each day.
1: We pray for blessing. We pray for
4: peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing.
1: Yeah.
3: Thank you, Shelly. If you turn with me this morning to the book of Hosea, chapter 2, I'd like to begin reading today at verse 21. Hosea, chapter 2, verse 21. While I turn there, I'd like to thank Pastor Zaino for giving us the opportunity to speak this morning and to share in this service. I feel like we, too, should give an update on Jay and Emily. Many of you have asked. You know that they spent the last year Jay, our son, and his wife Emily spent the last year, which is actually the first year of their marriage, uh, near us in in Metro Manila. Uh, They lived uh, about six miles uh, from us, out by the school where they taught. And for six miles in Metro Manila is only about two and a half hour drive away. And so uh, we lived sort of close to them, but sort of far. Uh, They finished that year of teaching and feel the God leading them into another area of ministry. They've accepted a position or an assignment in belgium they're going to be going to to belgium they're going to come through here i think in a week or so from now they'll be with us for a few days but then going on uh, to belgium where they'll work in the ministry where emily grew up her mom and dad started a a ministry to rescuing trafficked uh, women in that part of asia or sorry asia i'm used to being in asia that part of europe uh that part of europe and working in that area and they'll also be working with the youth group and being youth ministers at the international church there, at our international church there in Belgium. So we're very proud of them and are looking forward, of course, to seeing them in a few days and what God has in store for them in their future. Today I want to look at the book of Hosea and see what the Lord has for us today. I'm going to read from the New International Version, Hosea chapter 2, verse 21. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I'll respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and new wine and oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. And I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that today as we look at it and the events that took place in Hosea's life and ministry, Lord, the things that he lived through and went through, God, I pray that we would learn. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our lives, and Lord, that you would change us. Lord, that you would make us different than we were when we came into this building this morning. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Hosea is a prophet to the kingdom of Israel. You'll remember that the... The kingdom of Israel split into two parts, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Hosea is a prophet to that northern kingdom. Hosea prophesied for about 40 years or over 40 years in his ministry and speaking for the Lord and over 700 years before the birth of Christ. He prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam the second there in Israel. And during this time of prophecy was also a time, or during Jeroboam's reign, was also a time of what? could be called a time of prosperity there in the north. It was a time of peace and prosperity. And as a result of, of their actions, it was also a time of spiritual depravity. The people continued to worship false gods and turned their back on the God that loved them. the God that cared for them. But into this time of prosperity in this kingdom, God brings into the scene a prophet named Hosea. His name actually means Savior. And God instructs him to do something that is really outside of anything we could imagine or would ever think that God would ask one of his prophets or servants to do. He asks Hosea to do this to demonstrate actually his love for Israel, but he tells Hosea, he says, Hosea, I want you to find a wife. But he doesn't tell him just to find any wife or a wife that we would expect, a, a good upstanding young lady then within the community, someone with a good reputation, but he says, Hosea... I want you to marry a wife, but I want you to marry a wife with a questionable reputation. To marry someone who certainly, as the Bible calls her, the adulterous, an adulterous wife, someone that has a, a bad reputation. She had not been married before, Hosea, but certainly she had a questionable reputation when they got married. Certainly not the kind of woman that you would expect a prophet of God to marry. Or servant of God to marry, but God instructs him to do so. The scripture tells us that Hosea marries Gomer, and Gomer bears children. She has two sons and one daughter, and we won't take the time this morning to go through all of the names and what they mean, but God tells Hosea to name the children names that would remind Israel of the sins that they have committed against their God. By all indications, Hosea didn't just marry Gomer, he loved Gomer, he cared for her. But somewhere in their relationship, somewhere along the way, we see that Gomer leaves Hosea. She has affairs with other men. This must have been devastating for Hosea. It must have hurt him very deeply, this woman that that he loved. This woman that he loved, that that he gave his heart to, this woman that, that he had children with. Turned his back on him and left him. And had affairs and prostituted herself in adulterous relationships. People would have said of Hosea, it must have not only hurt him deeply, but it it must have just been incredibly embarrassing for him. He's a man of God. He speaks a a word to the people of Israel, calling them back to repentance. But yet he can't control his wife. I'm sure there were those that said that. Here's Hosea. He claims to speak for God. He claims to to speak for, for, for God, but yet he can't even control his own wife must have been incredibly hard and embarrassing for him. But in this marriage, God wants to illustrate his relationship with the children of Israel. You see, God loved the children of Israel. He had brought this people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He had performed miracle after miracle in their history, providing for their needs when they were hungry. He provided food when they were thirsty. He provided water. When they established themselves in the land of Canaan, he gave them victory over their enemies. The very kingdom they have, the land they live on, is theirs because of him. Because of his love for them. And because of his intervention on their behalf. But after all that that he had done for them, they prostituted themselves. They worshipped other gods. They worshipped gods of their neighbors. They performed sacrifices to Baal. And and they even went so far as to, to sacrifice their own children to these false gods. Thereby prostituting themselves and hurting God. An earthly understanding of, of our understanding of love, we would say that God has every right to not only punish the children of Israel, but to turn his back on them because they've rejected him. We would say that they've rejected him and his love. He certainly has the right to turn his back on them. But even in their unfaithfulness, God didn't do that. Even in their unfaithfulness, God still loved them. He says, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I call not my loved one. They, I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. This kind of love is indescribable. This kind of love that, that goes beyond anything we can comprehend. It's undescribable. This kind of love that God has for his creation. He has for us. You see, no matter what the children of Israel did, no matter what they did and sins that they committed against God, God still loved them. And for us, no matter what we have done, no matter what you have done in your life, no matter what has transpired in your life, what you have done, bad choices you have made, roads that you should have never walked down, things that you've done that you should have never done, no matter what you have done or where you have gone, God still loves you. He still loves you. That love has not changed. It has not changed. The very very first, first I ever learned as a child, I learned here. I learned here in, in Sunday school and where the old tabernacle used to sit, which actually is where this, our church sits here, just over back in that left corner where the nursery is now. That's where I started going to church, in that nursery. I have very, my first memories are actually of that room. I remember how, some of y'all remember how the uh, cribs used to have those sliding doors like jail. You put the kid in there and, you know, the whole wall was, were cribs, two levels, I think, if I remember right. you get in there and they slide you in there and shut the thing up. We don't have those anymore. I wonder why. But uh, we don't have those anymore. That's my earliest memory. But I also remember the very first verse I ever learned here. And incidentally, I don't remember, as a, as a, as a young child, I don't think we ever studied the story of Hosea in those junior classes. I was I was studying this, I thought, what kind of questions would have come out of that? What kind of questions would we would have asked David Clee in the junior boys' class? You can imagine what Keith Blunt and I might have tried to figure out. In relation to Hosea and his wife. But the very first verse that I ever learned was John 3 16. For God so loved the world. Loved the world. Loved the world. You see, even in that beginning. Phrase in that beginning verse that you taught me: "For God so loved the world." You laid a foundation for a realization that there's something outside of Duran, Florida. That He doesn't just love us here in Duran, or just us here in in this part of the state, or in Florida, but He loves the world. He loves everyone. He loves them all. He loves all of us. He loves His creation. And where Shelly and I live in those six nations, that 420 million people, God loves every one of them. Every one of them. I'd like to show you a short video of the, a bit of the part of the world where we work.
5: Searches, searches for those that will listen. Drifting, distant, desperate. It whispers in the ears of those that believe. It shouts in the streets, straining to be heard through the overwhelming noise. Can you hear us? The collected cry of fallen humanity, devoid of a savior. Centuries have passed without hope. We live here, hidden in the far away places. Our lands, strange. Our culture, a mystery. Our hearts, empty. Our people cling to anything that resembles truth. But what we seek remains out of reach. Our brutal spirits on the edge of breaking. Our prayers, unanswered our gods. Stay silent. We are the never reached. We are still waiting.
6: We hear a sound. It echoes in our ears. It awakes us in our sleep. A voice in the wilderness. A message 2,000 years old. A final command. Go. A simple but profound directive. From a saving God. With our victory assured, we journey to the ends of the earth. We climb mountains, trek through jungles, landed on forgotten islands, searching. Many have received, but far too many still remain. Too many haven't heard. Too many don't know. This unfinished task is our urgent kingdom mission. Chosen seen, heard, called. Can you hear them? Nations, cities, tribes, people. They are the never reached. They've waited long
5: enough. There is a sound. Can you hear it?
3: There we go. The vast majority of them have never known that the Lord loves them. They've never heard the words, For God so loved the world. It's that way in their communities, not because the gospel was preached a thousand years ago and it was somehow die, died off, or even 500 years ago when something happened that the church somehow disappeared, but. They've never been reached because the gospel has never been preached in their community. Churches have never been established where they are. No one has ever come to share the gospel with them. It's my firm belief that in our generation, and what is no doubt a, a difficult time in the world we live in today, it's my firm belief that it's our responsibility as a church of Jesus Christ to touch those people, It's our responsibility to let them know they have a Savior. To let them hear those words, for God so loved the world. That God loved them. So how is that going to happen? I fully believe it's going to happen with people, with with churches like ours being established in those communities. Fellowships of believers that will go and will establish themselves and tell the people that God loves them. I'm so thankful that in Those areas and tough areas in in, in the southern Philippines, even now, last year there were 13 churches planted in areas where the gospel had never been preached before. 13. This year there's another 13 slated to be planted. Even now there's work being done for the gospel to be shared there. Is it easy? No. Actually, in that area of the world, if I go, I only get to make one trip. Because of my size... My skin tone and my passport. You probably don't know this, but I don't blend in well in Southeast Asia. Stand out just a little bit. Tough areas. But in spite of all of that, the gospel is being preached. His word is going forward. We thank God for that. Please pray as those teams go forward in in southern Philippines and in areas of Indonesia where the gospel has not been preached before. God tells Hosea, after his wife Gomer had left him, embarrassed him, humiliated him, God tells Hosea, he says, once again, show your love to your wife. In Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the, the sacred raising cakes, so I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and about a homer and a leketh of barley. Then I told her, "You are to live with me many days. You must be—you must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man—and I will live with you." Hosea would have been justified to divorce Gomer. He had been justified to put her away. As a matter of fact, in Levitical law he would have been justified to have her killed. For adultery, the, the price, the penalty in Levitical law for adultery was death. Many of you will remember in John chapter 8, even in Jesus' day, some 700 years after this, the, 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 some religious leaders come in an attempt to catch Jesus in contradiction to the law, and of course we know that he didn't contr- contradict the law, he fulfilled it. But in an effort to try to catch him, they bring a woman that they claim was caught in adultery, and they put her at his feet, and they tell Jesus this woman was caught in adultery. According to Levitical law, she should be killed. She should be stoned. And, of course, we know that Jesus knelt down, started to write in the sand or in the dirt. And as he did that, he told them, he said, those of you that are without sin, you cast the first stone. He started writing in the dirt. And we don't know what he wrote. John didn't tell us that. I have in mind that he started writing down probably some sins in case they couldn't remember. Some things that they had done. Of course, we know that mercy was shown. They dropped their stones. They walked away. Christ was merciful. The same as God is merciful to the children of Israel and merciful to us, He shows mercy to Gomer. And Hosea goes... It purchases her. But due to sin, we all really are deserving of death. None of us are deserving of the salvation that God gives us through His Son, Jesus. You see, John chapter, uh, chapter, John chapter 3, verse 16, it doesn't stop with, For God love the world. It goes on and says that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because He loved us so much, He gave us His Son. Because of that love that he has for us, he forgives us and gives us his son. Instead of Hosea giving Gomer over to punishment that she deserved, God tells tells him, love your wife again. Not just to receive her back as his wife, but he's told to love her like God loved Israel. And so Hosea purchases his wife. I'm sure that this was not an easy thing for Hosea, not just emotionally, but I'm sure financially it was a hardship. He wasn't a feel-good kind of preacher. He wasn't the kind of preacher that could get tickled people's ears and put a little thing down at the bottom of the TV screen, said give, you know, 1-800-GIVE-NOW. He didn't do that. It wasn't that kind of ministry. His his was a, a hard ministry of calling people back to repentance and I have a feeling that people didn't throw money at him and support him. But he got together the resources that he had, and, and he had to go and to pay that. And you see, it, it was something that would have been a lot for him, and it cost him something. See, we as the Church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to reach into those areas of the world that have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something to reach them. It's going to cost us something to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes those people, they're not so easy to love. They're certainly not easy to live with at times. But yet God loves them just like He loved us. And to reach the people here in Durant, right here in our community, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something It's going to take your time, it's going to take your love, and it's going to take your effort to show your love to people. Even the people that may live around us that that don't, or they're, they're not easy to love, they're not like us. They don't see the world like we do. They don't see the world like we see the world or how we were brought up. But yet God still loves them. Jesus still died for them. Jesus, God still gave His Son for them. It's going to cost us something. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price? We have a missionary in The Philippines. His name was Dwight Palmquist. Dwight served in the Philippines for 47 years. In those 47 years, Dwight, he never married, never had a family, but also in that 47 years, uh, Dwight never rented an apartment, never rented a house. He traveled full time for 47 years through the islands of the Philippines, sleeping on church pews, sleeping in his Speed the Light van, sleeping in friends' houses, He went and preached and taught in places where the gospel had never been preached. His goal was to every community in the Philippines have an opportunity to hear that they have a Savior. About this time last year, actually August last year, we had a big meeting here in in the States. Actually, over in Orlando, had General Council. Then we had a big meeting, a worldwide meeting of all of our missionaries came together. And Dwight came home for that. And he really didn't come home that often. Our typical furlough cycle is four years on the field and a year back, Dwight's furlough cycle was more like seven, eight years on the field than six months back. That's just the way he, that's the way he worked. And as he came back for that meeting, he hadn't been in the States for a while, and he came and we knew that as, as we saw him there in Orlando, that he wasn't quite himself. We didn't know why. When he made it back up to his brother in Minnesota before he was going back to the Philippines, he was visiting with family and they took him to the doctor there and they discovered that uh, Dwight had stage four brain cancer. But not just in his brain, it actually spread through his body. The doctor told him at the time, he said, Dwight, you know, if nothing happens, you've only got a couple of months to live, depending on how this all responds. He said, and uh, he said, it really comes down to where do you want to die? Do you want to die here in the United States or in the Philippines? And Dwight said, I want to die in the Philippines. And so in September last year, about this time, Dwight got on an airplane and came back. He went through some radiation treatments here in the U.S. to try to shrink down the uh, cancer in his brain. And as he came in, I went and I met Dwight at at Terminal 1, the, the international airport there in Manila. And as I waited for him there, and our Terminal 1 waiting area lacks a lot to be desired as far as a decent place to wait. And I was waiting, and it was very crowded, and how it always is at the airport, and... Uh, I looked up and saw an elderly man coming out, and it was a real challenge to get him uh, to begin with because of the. Uh, I knew that he would need some help, and and what he had been through, been the radiation, and so I tried to get permission to go back to meeting when he got off the airplane. And of course, I couldn't get that because of all the security measures there. But uh, thankfully, the Lord opens doors, and through a friend of a friend who knows somebody, this always works this way in Southeast Asia, uh, that actually knew the owner of Philippine Airlines. And so the owner of the airline had called and had a representative meet Dwight at the, air, at the, at the door of his airplane, walked him all the way through immigration, baggage, everything was still with him uh, when I met him on the other side. But I remember looking down and seeing him as he, he was standing down there first. I was at a distance and I was looking and I, I thought, well, that's not Dwight. That's, that must be somebody else. And I went on and I thought, well, I better get closer. And as I got closer, I realized it was him. It was a, a shocking to me that in how such a short period of time how he had changed, how he was so much thinner than he had been just a month, month and a half before. And, and he always had this great curly blonde hair, uh, that was, the radiation had, of course, thinned that out and he didn't have much hair left. And, uh, but I got to White and, and we walked through that over those next months. We walked through the, that challenge with the White. And, and I, 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 one of the things they did wasn't a surprise because he faced this challenge like he faced every challenge with faith in God, with love for the Lord, without fear. And as we went through that, we went through some challenging times, some struggles, sort of ups and downs as we walked through that with him. And he told me as we were going through it, he said, you know, I've been praying, trying to figure out why the Lord is bringing me through this thing. He said, but I fully believe, he said, it was for these other people that don't know him. As you go through these treatments, anyone's ever done it before, you know, you when you go in for... A chemotherapy type treatment it's not something done within just a few minutes it takes a long time and so as he would said he would always be around people that he could talk to others that were facing similar situations and he said you know he said I, i'm able to tell them about jesus and hope that they can have in him he said can you imagine facing something like this without hope in christ March 20 of this year. Got a call at about 5 510 actually, I remember it exactly. Got a call on my cell phone, I was outside the apartment. Called the where he was staying at our office at the guest house they called me and said, we think Brother Dwight is gone to be with the Lord. We think he's gone. And so I rushed in. Thankfully there was no road, this is in the midst of the lockdowns and there was no roadblock between our apartment and the office so I was able to to get over there, and I was actually the only missionary without a roadblock between myself and the office, and so I was able to get there, and none of our other people could come. And I walked in, and it was, I remember thinking, because when you're walking through somebody like this, you think of of what may happen, and and you figure, you got to understand, this man has spent 47 years in the Philippines. He has thousands of close friends. Thousands of people that would want to be there and be with him in these last moments before he went on to his reward. As I walked in that office, there were only about five of us there. Just the people, our office staff that lived nearby had come. We were there. Dwight had passed in his sleep in the afternoon, taking a nap. One of the testimonies to his illness was he never had pain. I would sit with him with the oncologist, and he would want to prescribe me some medicine and pain meds. He says, well, how was the pain? Dwight says, I have none. He says, you have no pain. He says, I have no pain. So he never took any pain medication. He slipped that afternoon As he slept, went to be with the Lord. As I went in, I can remember thinking, as I gathered there with those few Filipino friends that loved him like I did, and we prayed, and I remember thinking this is not the way it was supposed to be. In the midst of this pandemic, things have changed so much. Just a few of us here were actually there should be hundreds but then it occurred to me that though there were so few of us there after he went to be with the Lord, that no doubt there were thousands that were welcoming him in glory because of the life he had led in the Philippines. You see, Dwight had grasped early on, 47 years before, that for in order for the people of the Philippines to come to know Jesus, it was going to take commitments, and somebody was going to have to pay the price. When he started his work in the Philippines 47 years ago, I talked to him and actually spent a lot of time and got a rundown of history and we wrote, got as many things as we could from him and and the way our church grew over the years. And and he told me, he said, you know, when I first started 47 years ago, we had just a little over 100 churches in the Philippines. But in his 47 years of ministry, that little number of 100 churches on our islands has grown to now in excess of over 3,000 churches within our fellowship. Because the white and other men and women understood that in order to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was going to cost something. It was going to cost them something. But they also realized that the cost was, 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 should be paid, worth it. It was worth it to see people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In order for Hosea to purchase Gomer, She must have fallen to the very depths of despair. You can imagine this woman that had left her husband. No doubt people had made her promises. All those people that had said sweet things to her, all those people that had said things to her in order to pull her away from her husband, they had long gone. Those that she had left and had made promises to her, they had all disappeared. The things that the world, the joy, and, and the things that she sought, those things were all gone. She'd been completely worked over by the world and, and worked over by so much so that she's even being sold as a slave. She so has nothing left. Nothing left. And as she walked in that day, I see a picture of a woman that must have been beaten down. In despair. Carrying a burden of a life where she had... Have regret of what she had done and and the the, the, just the the depression of of all she had done must have been weighing heavy on her shoulders as she walked in and came up to be sold as a slave. Giving up all hope. I imagine she stood on that auctioneer's block. The auctioneer started to call out Do I have one shekel for this woman? Do we have two shekels for this woman? Maybe three. Then a voice would have cried out, I imagine, somewhere in the back of the slave market. Somewhere in the back of that market, a voice would have cried out, a voice that she would have never thought would have been there, but a voice cried out and said, I'll give 15 shekels of silver and a homer of barley for this woman named Gomer. Gomer would have looked back and seen this this man that she would have never thought was supposed to be there, the last person she would have ever thought would have come. Her husband stood there. Did he come there to, to, to punish her? Come there to buy her back so that, so that he could, could somehow get satisfaction and revenge on what she had done to him? But Hosea doesn't. Instead of what she thought was going to happen, and no doubt she felt like she deserved, Hosea showed his love to her. Showed his love. Didn't just put her back in his house. Didn't just lock her down. Just didn't say, you're never going to leave my house again. Showed his love to her. Just like God shows his love to us. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we don't deserve what he gives us and that love that he shows us. He shows it to us anyway. He shows us that forgiveness. He gives it to us. You see that because of that love that God has for us, a price was paid for our sin. A high price was paid. For Jesus died on that cross for us. That price was paid so that we could have forgiveness from our sins. We could have forgiveness from what we have done. Forgiveness from the sin that we're all born with. Because of Jesus and because of God's love for us. God has not changed. No matter what we have done in life, He loves us. He purchased us with that price. He purchased us with that price. could be that during this message today that some of you may have identified more with Gomer. could have made decisions in your life that you regret things that you wish had never happened. Somehow turned away from, from God. Or maybe, I know this is going out online, maybe... You're watching it right now on Facebook Live or whatever platform it is, and, and you would say, I, I've made some bad decisions in my life. I've done some things that I know that I shouldn't have done. I, I've broken fellowship with God, or I've never been in fellowship with God. I, I, I've never known that love that, I, that you've talked about today. If that's you, you can have that same forgiveness. That same forgiveness today of a God that loves you no matter what you've done, that price has already been paid for what you've done. You've already been bought. You just have to receive it. Receive that forgiveness that He's already purchased for you. Just as we stood on that that slave block ourselves and God paid that price through His Son so that we could know Him as our Lord and our Savior and we could live in fellowship with Him as we were created to do. And those 420 million people in In our area, they weren't created to worship the gods they worship. They weren't created to worship pagan gods, false gods. They were created to worship the one true God through his son Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful picture. God, that you give us in Hosea of your prophet, Lord, that that, that loved his wife no matter what. Pay the price. God, I thank you for that, Lord. And it's a, a picture of your love for us and your forgiveness for us and what you do for us and have done for us through your Son Jesus. And God, I pray right now for anyone that's watching either online or Father here in this sanctuary, Lord, if anyone that's within the hear the sound of my voice, Lord, that's outside your love or has not received that, God, I pray, Lord, that they would turn to you right now. That they would turn to you right now, Lord, and they would purpose in their hearts to receive, Lord, that forgiveness from you. The forgiveness from you, God, that the price has already been paid. We just have to receive that forgiveness. And, God, I pray that they would do that right now. That they would turn, Father, from the ways and the road that they've been on and turn towards following after you. God, that you would move in their heart in their life. Lord, let them know that you're there just to love. To love and forgive. And God, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray for those here, God, that are, already know you as their Lord and Savior, already have received that forgiveness. God, help us to be willing to pay the price so that others will know what we know. Help us, Lord, to be willing to do what needs to be done to see your gospel go forward, to see your church established, to see people, Lord, come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, help us to pay that price. Help us to pay that price. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you,
6: Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God.
3: Thank you, Lord. And, Fathers, we leave this place today. Fathers, people... Turn off their computers or stop looking at their cell phones, whatever they're doing, Father, to be part of this service today. God, I pray that you would go with us, that you would bless us, Lord, that you would keep us under your hand and under your care. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And I would say that if you're here today and and you prayed for the very first time, or or you would say, I I need that forgiveness from God. Please come talk to me, talk to the pastor, talk to one of our church leaders. Talk to them and talk to somebody that you know knows the Lord so that they can help you in, through this walk and this new walk. And I say the same thing for anyone that is looking on, online right now, that's uh, out there on Facebook or, or the platform online. If, if, this is, if, if you are desiring to start a new walk with God, to receive that forgiveness from Him, please contact us here at Pleasant Grove. Contact us here so that God... We can play a part in helping you in that new walk in following after him. Uh, Please go with God. And I I remind you to, of course, all of you know, wear your masks and, uh, and stay socially distanced. But thank you so much for this opportunity to share this morning. Praise God.